Hey, what's going on, champs? I'm Erin Deliosa. Welcome to an Immigrant's Life podcast, my podcast about immigrants and immigration and everything in between. Thank you for listening and downloading the show, and thank you for supporting my dad. Immigrant Nation, stand up. I can't tell you enough how much I am grateful for your support. Thank you for sharing the podcast, liking, rating, and especially the kind words. I am forever grateful to you all. As a reminder, you can follow us on all the social media. Our handle is at an immigrant's life. You can also contact us by email at an immigrant's life at yahoo.com. And of course, you can listen to the podcast on all the podcast platforms, even on YouTube. Yo, last week's episode was a blockbuster. Camila's episode got so much love, it was overwhelming, and we appreciate it all. Having said that, let's continue to roll with another outstanding episode. This week's guest has such a big heart that he designed his life to help people that are in need. Maybe new immigrants or aspiring immigrants. And with his surplus of love, he started a non-profit organization to help out the less fortunate people of Pakistan. The word inspiration has been saturated lately, but I'm telling you, this dude is the real McCoy. Let's not waste time. So, without further ado, let's get into the show. Isa, dalawa, tatlo. Today's guest is a startup specialist and a social entrepreneur. He chooses to help less fortunate communities by starting and supporting non-profit organizations. Everyone, please welcome Mustafa Ansari. Hello, everyone, and thank you, Aaron, so much for having me here. And I'm very happy to share my story and experience. Mm, awesome, man. I mean, thank you for reaching out. I really do appreciate it. Yeah, definitely. I've I've been looking at your profile and I've seen a few of the podcasts and I thought maybe it's time that I come on it as well. Ah, that's awesome. And actually, to be honest, you're one on my list. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I saw, I don't know how I found your, I don't know, I think you like one of my posts. I'm like, yo, this guy is cool. I'm going to talk to him one time. Well, thank you so much. Yeah, Instagram profile is not really my real life. It's uh, my fantasy life. So <laughs> I get compliments from them. <laughs> That's okay. That's cool, man. But, yeah, you know, Instagram is not life. You know what I mean? It's my happy moments life. <laughs> Isn't it everyone's? <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's some people who post the sad moments too. And I usually don't do that. I just open Instagram to see happiness <laughs> and to explore <laughs> Yeah, I mean, just to escape. Yeah, you can see that. But now it's more like you do other things to escape social media. <laughs> All right. Of course, of course. I mean, it's a type of drug, right? Very addictive. Oh, man, that scrolling thing? It's a, I heard it recently. It's a bottomless pit. And it never finishes. And now I've recently seen that after every three or four posts, even on Facebook... There's an ad. And now I feel like there's just more ads than posts from my friends or pages. It's just just like I'm looking at ads all day. (laughs) Yeah, it's pretty much. Or like sponsored accounts. Yeah, like partnerships and this and that. Like, I just want to see what my friends are doing. That's it. (laughs) (laughs) Judge them. (laughs) (laughs) I know. It's just like, I don't know if you know, but 
they designed it to be that way that you it's like um what's this game uh slot machine you know when you pull down yeah. and you apparently you know when you when you sc- uh, scroll down and it'll like it refresh apparently they designed it to be like that it makes it sound it makes me feel it makes you feel like it's a slot machine and it makes you feel like oh my god i, I wonder what's going to happen next or what i'm going to see next yeah i totally agree there's also a few documentaries i watched recently about about it and i feel with the invention of tiktok especially it's become too addictive especially for the for the millennials coming up it's just bottomless there's always a new trend always a new song always a new something and everybody just wants to be on it and they have to be on top of it so it's just too much for me uh it's it is too much even though i work in mostly digital marketing <laughs> it's it's insane it's just like it never stops i, I trust me i i get into this warp hole once you know i'm like what am i doing and I'm just like, oh, I snap out of it and, you know, do something else. But, yeah, you, you're right with TikTok. TikTok's, like, the worst, man. Agree. But we're not here to talk about TikTok. We're talk about, <laughs> We're here to talk about you. So, I know you're originally from Pakistan. Which part of Pakistan were you originally from? So, I'm from the city of Karachi, which is the south of Pakistan. And it's a very big city. It's, I would say, around 25 to 30 million people. And it usually generates, I would say, 60% of the GDP of Pakistan. So it's like a very hustle bustle, like a Toronto type of city. Mm-hmm. And I I was born there. I did my uh, education there. I lived near the beach, which was pretty nice because you get the sea breeze over there. Mm-hmm. And then I moved to Canada to do my master's in mm-hmm. business for, at Queen's University in Kingston. That's awesome. And... Now I just miss home. <laughs> Don't we always? <laughs> you know, my WhatsApp status has been, uh, for many years, it's been stuck on a feeling. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I everybody, everybody asked me, what is that feeling? I was like, I can't describe it. <laughs> you can't. It's it's hard, you know. It's just, I visited Philippines three years ago. And before that, I didn't visit for a long time. And uh, between those time, I, I was saying that, ah, you know, I don't miss Philippines. It's whatever. It's a place. But, you know, I miss the people, but not really the place. But when I visited, I'm like, oh, I miss this place. <laughs> oh, definitely. I feel like when we're abroad, we always think about our happy memories and the happy places that we resonate with back home and we constantly play them. But when I went back home, I really, I was, I was there for, I would say, 30 days. And then I found out, you know, this is the reason why I left. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I guess you're better than me. I, it took me like, I think the end of third week, I'm like, okay, I'm good. I'm good. I can't yeah, handle this craziness. Because first of all, when I, any person who visits Pakistan from outside, after 10 days, his stomach gets upset and diarrhea, vomiting, it gets pretty calm because we eat so much street food and spiciness. And this has not happened in Canada at all for me. So I was like, I don't miss that experience at all. You still then, eat street food? In Pakistan, I yeah. do. Okay. Like, I know that I will be sick, but I still do it. <laughs> and I was really sick when I was coming back on my flight to Toronto. It was a direct flight, 14 and a half hours. Ooh. And I was just, you know, out. Like, I couldn't hear from one ear, my flu, cough, and... <laughs> 
And that was just pre-pandemic. So when I came to the airport, everybody was like, something's up with this guy. I was like, no, I'm just ill. <laughs> I I didn't. I didn't eat street food. Oh, man, that's the that's the best part. Because you don't find... I'm not sure about uh, Philippines food, but or specific street food, you don't find it in Canada. Like, as much as you want to try. Even okay. if you find it, it's like 20 times the price. I'm like, I'm not paying that much. <laughs> <laughs> but no, no, we have we are famous for our street food too. But you know what kind of street food we eat. You know what I mean? It's like you'll never find it here. Like you know, uh, chicken's intestine, the leg. I mean, the feet, not the legs, the feet of the chicken. You know, <laughs> things like that. You know. But yes, I, I I understand that experience of like going to the court corner street and they're they're cooking it in the corner. You know, it's just authenticity. You know. Yeah, it's. You can see the unhygienicness and <laughs> you feel it. Out. You're like, that's where the taste is coming from. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> that's so funny, man. So take us back to Karachi when you were young, growing up there. How was it? Karachi, when I was growing up, I would say it's a very fun city. I, All of my friends, we were all from the same area. So it was a lot of socializing. Mm. We have this culture of late night having tea at some uh, it's called a dhaba which is like an empty plot there's a lot of chairs on it lights on it people have late night food they just talk play cards or play some board games mm-hmm. so we don't have bars or clubs there because of um, of our uh, culture and religion so we have this instead where every uh, mostly guys i would say they go there, they just chill. We talk about sports, politics, business ideas, what's happening. Like, So this was like very frequent, which I really miss in Canada and I really enjoyed back home. Because, you know, just last night, I went to a few restaurants at 8.30 and they said our kitchen is closed and we close at 9 p.m. I was like, what? I just opened my iftar at 7.45 <laughs> so they're like yeah but you know you can come tomorrow tomorrow's a weekend and we're open late night i was like and in pakistan we used to go out at 11 11 30 and we used to just sit and everything's open it's buzzing mm. it's a lazy city i would say so every business mostly used to open at 12 p.m or 1 p.m like in our hub like you know like downtown i would say everything opens at like 12 or 1 why <laughs> like most of the businesses because I don't know, it's like the nature of the business. They're open till late night. Oh. They open a bit late as well. Like nothing's open at 8 a.m. if we go. It's just the school buses. 9 a.m. There's nothing. Empty streets. You can find some breakfast places. 10 a.m. It starts getting busier on a weekday. On a weekend, like Sunday, oh, like till 10 or 11, there's nobody on the streets in the morning. <laughs> Really? Is that based because of the religion or is it just the culture? Oh, it's just the culture, the business culture. Like uh, most of the people who own their own shops or businesses, they're a bit more laid back. So they go because they know that their customers come in the afternoon as well. They don't come in the morning. So they just designed it that way. And now that it, now mostly everybody follows like all the mobile shops, uh, jewelry shops, clothing shops. There's a specific area called Southern. Mm-hmm. And a few of my friends have their businesses, their family business. And they used to go at like 11, 30, 12. Nobody, like most of the business owners, I would say, on a stretch, that they wouldn't set an alarm. They would just wake up and go. 
whenever they feel like it. <laughs> yeah. You mentioned this place that you hang out, and you mentioned that it's mostly guys. Can women go to? Yeah, there's there's a lot of women there as well, but like till late night, I would say like 2 a.m., 3 a.m. There's just mostly guys hanging out and. Mm. There's a lot of noise, like a lot of people with customizable cars. They come in and they're, I don't know, making zoom, zoom. I was like, <laughs> they're waking the whole neighborhood up. You got to flex. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if, they, if they've done an investment, <laughs> they might as well. You know what I mean? Yeah, but I miss, especially, I miss those kind of places because even... I wouldn't say maybe in the summers there's a patio, but I don't think they open till that late in Canada. Like I live in Kingston, Ontario, which is more uh, strict on timing, I would say. But I feel like in Toronto they might still be open late, but they will mostly just be bars and clubs or restaurants. Mm. Yeah, you're right. What was your socioeconomic situation there in Pakistan? I shouldn't say it, but like I was pretty comfortable. <laughs> And uh, I would say I I was one of the fortunate ones. I would say that I would I lived in the Dubai part of Pakistan, like we call that area Dubai, because it was like the most premium area. But mm-hmm. I had traveled all, before I was coming to Canada. I traveled all across Pakistan, and uh, then I actually opened my eyes, and that's when my NGOs ideas came in, mm-hmm. and. The area that I lived in is called Defense, Defense and Clifton, and it's near the beach. And that's where all the uh, businesses are, the expensive ones, the malls are, mm-hmm. and the big offices are. It's, uh, I would say Karachi has like five or six downtowns. It's not like one area, which is a downtown. It's like every, it's a very big city. So every area is like, you know, it's like you could say the GTA, mm-hmm. so like Saga's one area, Scarborough's one area. So I, you could say that I lived in like near the CN Tower. <laughs> wow. Rich boy over here, eh? Not really. I would say like we moved in pretty early. The city was made later. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> yeah, but it's, uh, it, I would say on a stretch again, like all the people that lived in that area, it wasn't enough for them. And that's why everybody went out to Australia England, America, and for me, Canada. Mm. We wanted much more. And that's that's why we did a master's abroad and came here. What do you mean by more? Because you mentioned that you were pretty okay, comfortable. What do you mean by more? I mean, I would say my family was pretty comfortable and okay. <laughs> I was struggling with jobs there, coming in and out. And the job scale wasn't isn't that good over there. And I was just listening to a podcast yesterday and the average price, I mean, the average salary of a recent graduate is, I would convert it, is, I would say, 300 US, uh, 300 Canadian dollars per month. And uh, a driver over there or somebody who does uh, Uber Eats kind of service or an Uber service, which is which is not considered as a professional job there. It's considered like a side hustle. Hmm or something uh, the lower class does, I would say, they would earn around 200 to 250. So there was a lot of, uh, there, I would say there was a lot of lack of good professional opportunities because the city was, I would say, overpopulated as well. And there weren't that many businesses coming in, a lot of, not a lot of foreign investment. 
So most of the recent graduates who did masters or bachelors, they wanted to move abroad for a better prospect. Oh, okay. In Pakistan, is there like a caste system too, at least even before? Because you know, in India, there's like, oh, you guys are the this, you guys are the Brahmins or Brahmins, and then you guys are the, I don't know, cleaning ladies. I mean, we do have it, but it isn't that emphasized as much as it is in India. Mm. And our caste system is like, for suppose there's a caste called Patans. So you can tell by somebody, most of them, by looking at them, that they're Patans because they're mostly very fair and they're from the mountains and uh, the northern Pakistan. Mm-hmm. And then there's this more, I would say, provincial caste because there's Punjabi, Sindhi, Balochi, and they wear their traditional clothes a lot. Mm-hmm. But we don't emphasize much on like who's what. Like I would say that speci- we're a bit past that. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> So you're saying that you're better than Indians? <laughs> uh, all my friends are Indians here. And mm-hmm. I'm not sure if you know, but we have a lot of rivalry in life and mm-hmm. specifically in sports. Mm-hmm. So we always, you know, do this to each other. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah. one Pakistani is worth like five Indians anyway. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, oh, all our CEOs, all our Indians are CEOs of every major company. And I'm like, yeah. That's why they're struggling. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. I love that you said that there is a competition between Indian and Pakistan. Because I just recently saw a video that I guess this is like a Pakistani soldiers and then the Indian soldiers on the other side. And oh, they're like marching and shit. I'm like, what is this nonsense? That's the theatric show in Lahore at the Waga border where it's a border. And at one side, they're all Pakistanis. And there's a lot of crowd and there's a lot of cheering and drums and a lot of noise. And the other side, there's a lot of Indians. And then these soldiers, they come in with their high boots and they're stretching and, you know, making noises and making faces. It's a, it's a funny place. And people really love it. Like people, I would say from Pakistan and India, both, they're very patriotic. Hmm. Every person knows A to Z about the country's politics, the country's uh, sports, specifically in cricket. Whereas I would say in comparison to Canada, I didn't even know that the elections were happening here. Nobody knew the elections were happening. <laughs> but when there are elections in Pakistan and India, I would say the rest of the world just stops. Mm. And everyone's focused on the news with their flags and uh, with the political rallies and the protests and everything. So mm. they're very into it. They're very patriotic. And they're and because of that, there's a big of a rivalry between India and Pakistan. And because Pakistan was part of India. Mm-hmm. And then when British left, we also separated. And then Bangladesh was also part of Pakistan. And then Bangladesh separated from Pakistan. And then we've had a few wars in and out. And then there's an issue of Kashmir that we have. So we don't have like a lot of bilateral ties with each other, like international ties. Like no Pakistan can go to India. No Indian can come to Pakistan unless there's like a religious uh, visa or something. But nobody can go in and out. And uh, there's no trade, I would say. There's no, like our prime ministers, the whole political campaigns are based out of each other. <laughs> That's crazy. And and so this is all that happens when we're in Indian Pakistan. Once somebody from Indian Pakistan comes abroad, for suppose England, America, Australia, 
or Canada, like for suppose Kingston, is the same. We're like, you know, it doesn't matter what's happening there. Let's just go have samosa together, have biryani together. And mm-hmm. everyone's friends with each, with each other when they come abroad. Once we go back home, there's a lot of, you know, hate speech by political parties and it just comes into our head. But mm-hmm. outside, everyone's like brother, brother together. We watch sports together. We do everything here together. So because we have the same language, so it becomes very uh, comfortable. Yeah. I mean, you know, when you're in the well, it's hard to see the sky. Yeah. Well, I will use that quote. <laughs> <laughs> I don't don't quote me on that. I probably stole it from someone smart. I like I like pretending I'm smart. I I say these things that smart people say, so people think I'm smart too. Uh, yeah, I like it. Every time I try to say something, like a quote, my sisters they just say that you're just quoting a bumper sticker. <laughs> I was like, what is that? <laughs> I made it myself. <laughs> I made it. You know, I stole the idea from someone, but I made the words. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes I just translate it from my language to English and I say, it's mine now. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome, man. You were talking online about Ramadan. I'd like to learn more about Ramadan because the funny thing is in the Philippines, there are a lot of Muslims in the South, especially. But we're like very divided with that. Like, oh, the Muslims are the bad people. Don't listen to them and all this stuff. But I'm like, no, I want to learn what they're doing. Why are they covering their heads? Why they wear whatever they wear? Let's talk about Ramadan. So what's the significance of it? Yeah, I may not be the best ambassador, but I will try. <laughs> so Ramadan is a month. It's a very special month for Muslims. It's very holy. And we fast from uh, sunrise to sunset. I would say a bit before sunrise. So for now, it's around 5 a.m. to around 8 a.m. in the Toronto region. And we we don't, it's, I think, 14 to 15 hours, probably. I'm not sure. And we don't drink or we don't uh, eat in between that. We try to be the best versions of ourselves overall as well. Don't swearing, no lies, nothing. And so this, I'm assuming, this concept came in when, like we want, like the Muslims. So this gives us the experience of what somebody less fortunate than us feels during the rest of the year when they don't have anything. And this makes us more charitable and makes us, you know, gives that experience. And once we feel it ourselves, then we know that, you know, I know for sure that at 8 p.m. I'll have a big table but for most of them, even specifically for people back home in Pakistan, even at 8 p.m., they might not have anything. So this makes us more empathetic about how the poor and the less fortunate feel. And in the month of Ramadan, and specifically in Pakistan, there there's so many people giving out food in the streets at 8 p.m. <clears throat> my friend and my NGO does that as well. A lot of people make uh, ration boxes, which is like a grocery big grocery box before the month and they gave gave it out to a lot of people so people become very charitable in this month and uh, it's uh, I heard it somewhere I think it was an article that fasting is really good for your health as well because it cleans out a lot of things the toxins yeah probably (laughs) it's it's a bit (laughs) difficult for me to fast but I fast as much as I can Mm -hmm. but uh that's the gist of it. I'm sure there's much more information. Mm, for and sure. It, it's a very holy month for us. And 
we try to be the we try to become the best versions in it and then move that forward for the rest of the year hmm. do you pray more during ramadan i so usually i i didn't used to pray the morning prayer which was at 5 a.m because i used to wake up just before my office hours but because of ramadan because i eat at that time as well just before the closing so i pray at that time as well and yes people pray more in this month they they recite the quran as well a lot of people i'm very happy that they've started reciting the quran in their language which is so they know the meaning a lot of people they just used to like i i can read arabic but i don't know what it means i can just read it so now i've gotten one in english and in one in urdu which is our home language so now i know the meaning as well so i'm happy that a lot of people around the world they started reading and understanding and once they once they understand the more principles and the more information they implemented more mm. i have a quran actually it was given to me by a pakistani friend i huh? haven't read it because i'm lazy <laughs> but i do have a copy and i i beg and beg and beg for that book for the whole for the longest time i always remind him yo where's my quran dude bro let's go <laughs> he finally gave it to me a few months ago i'm like and then i just stack it in with my books but i'm going to read it someday because i remember when i was in college i always want this is in the philippines i always wanted to have a copy but there was no I didn't really have Muslim friends. Like I know Muslim people that lives in my town, but again, there was like, oh, don't go with these people. They're they're bad people, you know, because they're Muslims. I'm like, yeah, no, they're they're like they're the best. They <laughs> they have their own businesses. They're you know they're decent people. They don't they don't do nothing. Yeah, we've had this tag for a while, and Islamophobia has spread a lot recently, and it's really it's really hurt the people who are Muslims living in another country, like. especially the states and mm. england and there's been a lot of racial attacks as well and that makes me feel like you know what a privilege it was to live in a muslim country back home where it was there was no islamophobia there <laughs> well everybody's <laughs> you know what i mean <laughs> anyway it was pretty chill <laughs> hey, i i know i i you know it's funny like i said when i visited three years ago in my town like i said there was muslim population but not prominent and then i walk around the town and i see like girls or women that you know they're wearing the i forgot the word i'm sorry remind me the scarf or hijab yeah the hijab or whatever i'm like and you can see them like prominently now you know i'm like yo what's up let's go you know like i i love it it's like now we're trying to see diversity you know cuz back in when i was growing up like you'll see maybe one every like special day Yeah. So you mentioned that you moved to Canada and because of you want more. Was there a person that moved first or was it only you? So the, like in how's it like my dad he he pushed for the immigration like way back and we received the immigration in 2015 and we came to Canada. At that time I was still studying and my sisters were working and my dad was also working and my mom was uh just enjoying uh so we came to canada we stayed here for two months we got the pr which was the which is pretty the main thing <laughs> here we got that we went back and uh they didn't want to come back they were pretty happy with the life back home mm. but they said if you want to go you can do a master's program there because you'll be a local student and 
it was like it was my dream to do a master's degree from abroad hmm. so i applied for masters and i i came alone to canada i had a lot of family members here family and friends so they guided me and they supported me there were a lot of things that you know i just had no idea with and they were pretty new to me very alien concept like uh, i saw somebody who recently came to canada and they were mind blown when they saw the interact feature that you know <laughs> somebody in front of them just paid with their apple watch and they're like what's happening we just pay with cash with everything back home so that transition it took a while but on that note actually so i made a few guides as well for toronto and kingston which includes all these information cuz when i was back home i didn't know where to find places where i could rent a room in mississauga or kingston and i asked a lot of friends and i feel like there are a lot of people like me who don't have this information so i created a guide with all this information like guru facebook marketplace facebook groups kijiji all this information and these are the must have apps in uh, to be in your phone which is like google maps check the weather quite often these are the winter things that you must have and here's how the transport system works in toronto the tdc go bus is what they charge and here's the mobile network they would be a bit costly so here are all the ones available these are the cheaper ones so i created and compiled a list and then i pres- had to present it to the new international students coming in in my program as my school of business and since then i think i've given it to a lot of people and they've read it before coming and they've said that it's really helped so i can send you the link as well yeah i read this this uh, book that you made i saw this it's pretty yeah. good it's pretty i mean it's like professional man it's like yo what's up man it's well I mean, done i, I feel the fuel the information might have been outdated because i made it in 2019 summer hmm. and prices are really increased but at that time i was leaving my program like i had graduated and i felt like if i supposed move from kingston to another city all this information about kingston would leave with me whereas if i compile it and give it to my program director and they can give it to other international students coming in it may help them before they come in and they might know more cuz i have learned everything i would say the hard way and like few days i checked i didn't check the weather i just went outside I still do that sometimes. And I don't know in like seconds it was pretty sunny and warm mm-hmm. and seconds it became freezing rain and everybody was normal I was the only one panicking. <laughs> yeah, so all these experience, you know, push me <laughs> to make something like this to help the people coming in because I know a lot of people are still coming in to Canada. For sure. But I like this guidebook. It was really well written like I said. I love the the graphics and the pictures. And yes, it needs to up to be updated obviously. But it's I'm sure it's helpful. Does your school give it away or they usually used to uh upload it on their program portal. Mm, okay. And I made it all digital. I think I did print one of them because once I made the Kingston one I had a lot of requests coming from my friends that they like nobody goes to Kingston first of all nobody actually <laughs> even knows where Kingston is <laughs> when the search Kingston like Jamaica pops up and mm-hmm. Kingston upon Thames and UK pops up and like Kingston and Canada is, it's not like a lot of people don't know about it so they're mm-hmm. like you know you've been to Toronto so many times you lived there for a few months and 
you you know a lot about the city. So if you could just make one for that. And a lot of my uh, juniors in my school, they were doing the program from Toronto. They had the option of doing that because we have a branch in Toronto as well for mm-hmm. Smith School of Business. So then I made one for Toronto, which became more of a highlight because Toronto is a Canadian dream. <laughs> I would say everybody wants to move to Toronto. So everybody read that one. <laughs> yeah. I, I see that like a lot of South Asians moves to Toronto. There's a I lot mean, of, sorry, go ahead. I would say they moved to the greater Toronto and they moved to Brampton and Mississauga. <laughs> That's our area. That's our hub. We're kings there. Nobody says anything to us there. <laughs> It's like a little India, you know, and little Pakistan, yeah. man. Yeah, like when I lived in Mississauga, there was actually one day where I challenged myself to uh, to live the whole day and, you know, do everything that I do normally, mm. but without speaking English. And I did it. <laughs> Every person there, like, you know, I went to Pisa Pisa. There was some person from India, Pakistan. Then I I said in my language what I want. They gave it. I went to Tim Hortons. They did it. I went here and there. Every place in Mississauga. I was like, so I was like, this is this is like I'm back in Pakistan. So that's where I I was like, I have to move to Kingston because my university is also here. And when I came to Kingston, I really felt like now I'm in Canada. <laughs> mm. So you challenge yourself because you feel like you still haven't really immigrated because you're surrounded by these South Asian people. Yeah, not just that, like South Asian people. And I would say Mississauga has a lot of South Asian lifestyle as well. Like, uh, mm. you know, empty parking lots, people were playing cricket there in Heartland. <laughs> And a lot of desi food, like biryani, pan, everything's available. All my friends from back home were also there. So I wasn't making any new friends. <laughs> and mm. uh, Shisha cafes and, you know, having chai from uh, Tim Hortons, steep tea. I was like, man, I'm here for the Starbucks and, you know, Frappuccino. Mm. <laughs> I'm not here for this. So. But uh, I would say Mississauga specifically is just Karachi with rules <laughs> with rules implemented. But like strict, it's a strict Karachi. And even when I was coming in my, so I came in PIA, which is Pakistan International Airlines. Mm-hmm. And it lands at Pearson. And I kid you not. Everybody, like within five, six seats left and right, they all lived in Mississauga. (laughs) (laughs) I I mean, I don't know, like, why we've taken that city. (laughs) I mean, just should have taken Toronto. (laughs) Well, it's probably because back then, you know, racism, you know what I mean? Like, hey, 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 get out of here. You're not, you guys, brown collar people go over there and some group probably found Mississauga maybe it was a new new town or new city whatever and they start you know moving in there and they have family and friends and it just grew and grew and grew and like you said comfortability is like it's somehow a little bit of a poison because once you get comfortable with things that's it you're not moving that's why I admire you for moving to Kingston that's that's hard man now it's hard for me to move from Kingston to Toronto (laughs) Because I'm so comfortable here now. Just like, uh, like I lived in a big city, Toronto, Mississauga were pretty big cities, long commute times. But Kingston, it's a very small city, and the downtown and the university and the lakefront, it's all in a 20 minute radius walk, mm. in just walking. So 
for months, like I haven't sitting in a car, in a bus, like everything is just here. Mm, you so just walk. Be- yeah, I just walk everywhere. So it's become comfortable, but it's a very nice city. People are really nice, but then in terms of career growth and opportunities, it's very limited as well. Mm. So now, do you feel like a Pakistani living in Canada or do you feel Canadian that has Pakistani background? I feel like I'm Canadian because no Pakistani says thank you, sorry, or stuff like <laughs> that. <laughs> I hold the door for till a lot of people come in. Nobody does that back home. Nobody? Man, no one has time in my city. They're like, you know. Really? <laughs> but uh, yeah, I feel like because of Kingston, a lot of Canadian values has, you know, been <laughs> installed. <laughs> Software's been updated and... Uh, do you think it's better updated or? I mean, much better. Mm. And my English has improved because I speak with English here. I've made a lot of friends from around the world in Kingston. Mm. And I do feel like when I'm back, when I go back to Toronto or Mississauga, I will mostly just roam around my Pakistani circle <laughs> and, you know, go back to that life. Pakistani food, shisha cafes, cricket, watching politics, protest, <laughs> all that stuff. <laughs> yeah, once in a while, you want to, you know, touch base with your, you know, your soul. Yeah, it. Uh, I think a few, a few months back, I went to Mississauga and... Like, I lived there in 2018, so I went there after three, four years. And I was like, man, this city has become more brown <laughs> than it was. Like, <laughs> like, especially the Celebration Square. Mm. I went there. There were a lot of Middle Eastern people, and there were a lot of people from India and Pakistan. And I was like, this hasn't been that much when I was there, but now is, I think it's just become more. And it's, uh, it's very comfortable, I would say, if I never came to Kingston, it would have been very comfortable living there. Yeah, I like that. So most of your friends in Kingston, are they mixed or are they mostly South Asians? I would say the majority could be South Asians. A lot of my friends, because uh, Queen's University is in Kingston, so once everybody graduates from here, they instantly leave the city. <laughs> <laughs> Or because all the jobs are in like Ottawa, Montreal, or Toronto. Mm-hmm. So a lot of my friends left, whereas at that time I got a job in Kingston, so I stayed back. So because of my volunteer opportunities with Rotary, I have a lot of friends from other areas. But most of my, because I was part of this Indian club on campus as well, so a lot of my friends are from there as well. Mm. You said that you're a social entrepreneur. What, what is that? So this term, I would say, came in when I was doing my master's. And because my master's was in business, entrepreneurship, and innovation, uh, me and the two friends of mine, we founded a Social Enterprise, which was we were, we were bringing uh, saffron, a spice from Afghanistan, and selling it here, and then uh, putting most of our profit back into the country to help rebuild the life of the farmers, and specifically women farmers. So we were mm-hmm. empowering them. So at that time, this term came in and after the first few months of the pandemic, it really shut the business down. Mm. (laughs) So I left that. And after that, I've been uh, doing my own NGO for my home country, Pakistan. And I would say that's where the social side came in. And then I was always interested in entrepreneurship. So I do 
that which is called the expats pakistan where a lot of my friends from of who live outside pakistan because of the good i would say exchange rate that we have <laughs> we like even like 20 dollars they become a really big amount when we send it back home how much so is we, it if you don't mind me asking so one right now one canadian dollar is 145 rupees 145 yeah that's a lot <laughs> yeah so so this whole concept came in when it's a funny story actually i would say so once i was in i was just going through union station and these you know random bastards for these ngos they they like you know i was pretty new at that time so they just you know looked at me and they're like what oh, we were doing this fundraiser and would you like to do this so first of all i said no english no no speak <laughs> so i could just get away <laughs> so they're like oh where are you from i was like pakistan they're like oh we have somebody from pakistan in our team they called the, that guy that that guy spoke in our language i was like man i was just trying to go away i don't want <laughs> i have no money to give so he's like basically what we're doing is that you know a meal in canada suppose if you go to a restaurant it cost 20 dollars or 25 dollars mm-hmm. but if you skip that one meal in a week or a month suppose in a month and contribute that money to us that 25 dollars can get a get grocery for a family of five in a country in africa or asia so so that point of phase really stuck in my mind for years and then when the pandemic hit and when people were losing their job the daily wages had nothing to do during the lockdowns so that's when this concept revived in my mind and i was telling my friends who one of them lived in bahrain few of them lived in the uk one of them lived in australia and i was like if we just contribute 20 dollars each and it becomes a really big amount when all of us contribute and send it back home and then because i was a part of a lot of volunteer opportunities back home as well i still had the connections so i contacted them and i was like if we send this money and you could get the grocery and then you could find the people if you go to the specific areas mm-hmm. and then you can con- contribute all the grocery packages to them because at that time it became uh, covid covid was spreading very fast and people were really you know losing opportunities Mm-hmm. So that's where the idea started that's where the work started and so far like I think it's been one and a half to two years we've done a lot of work we've done a lot of work in specifically in water and sanitation we built a lot of water pumps in places that are in the near the desert uh, desert and small villages mm-hmm. so that one water pump it gives the water for the whole i would say two three families nearby and water is a big problem in pakistan as well so we water and food is our main focus and we do a lot of clothing drives as well so we are all focusing on that so all that idea and i give this idea to everybody specifically to my friends in india because i i tell them here's the business model just go and implement it and if you need any guidance from me i'm happy to help i give them the so i raise money through this online uh, website called donor box it's pretty easy you send them the link and people can just pay online so there's no uh, like because few of my friends were in england and bahrain it was pretty easy you just put in your visa mastercard and the money comes there's no interact or you know no international money transfer so i give this idea to many people and maybe you can have made the future implemented in philippines as well <laughs> listen i like sending money to the philippines to help out family and stuff but i'm so lazy you know like i this is how i do it 
I asked my mom, do they need money? Of course, it's always they do need money. And I said, tell me how much and then I'll give it. That's it. Leave me alone. I'm not like you, you know, you're Superman. <laughs> I'm like Aquaman, you know what I mean? Like I do things, but not much, you know? <laughs> <laughs> no, so we, a lot of people ask for money, but we only give product or we make uh, something, but we don't give money because I feel like in Paisan, people are still a bit corrupt. And <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, like if I give them money, they spend it on drugs or I don't know, just yeah. having Pepsi, Coke. <laughs> I was like, it's better if I give them the product instead. Okay, if you give the product. But you mentioned earlier that you were creating water wells, right? But how do you make a water well if you don't have money? So we don't give the money to the people. We give it to, we've partnered with specific organizations and we give the money to them. And they've already sent us requests that these are the areas that still need the pumps. And it's around, I would say, $150. Hmm. So like all my friends, we just contribute 30 or 20 each and per month. We've, we've targeted to make at least 10 per year. Hmm. And we give the money to the organization. The organization, I trust, and they're like verified. So they go to the specific areas with their labor they send us the whole process, they send us videos and they send us the, all the updates. And this is where they've, I don't know, put in some pipes underground and they've made the area and then they just put our name over there as well. Like, you know, these guys came and they made the well. And then they just hand it to the community. And I think like after two months, they go to have an update. And if there's some maintenance to be done, then they just do it themselves. Mm. See, I like there's an organization, but... You know, humans, if there's money, they're going to take, if it's a hundred, they'll take maybe five. You know what I mean? Like that's, <laughs> I'm so, I, I would like to donate. I do. It's just like, how do I know that my 20 is going to be 20 when it gets to the end part? You know, I, I get it. There's people that needs to be fed. There's people that work in and it's volunteer. But if it's volunteer, you should not get paid. <laughs> I feel like now I've <clears throat> kind of accepted that. Corruption is in the grassroots. I can't help it. I've put in like extra for like, if you want to take it, take it. Like $2 to me would not hurt me or my organization. Mm. It might make someone's day back home. So, mm -hmm. I mean, if it does, like, I can't help it. <laughs> and like, enjoy it. Yeah. I, like, it's a great idea. Send me the business model and I'll think about this. But for now, what I do is, like I said, like my, what I do is, like I send money to my mom, and she does the the whole thing. Like she contacts the, my family back home, and they'll buy rice, like a pa care package, as they say. And then, like when the pandemic happened, that's what they did. They made the my whole family did a care package for people and give it away. You know, for me, I'm more comfortable with that because at least that's my family. If they steal money, it's all good. It's family. But if it's like some random guy, I'm like, yo, remember, like, great example. I'm not comparing this organization to your organization or whatever else. Is, you know, the cancer lady, the pink lady, the pink ribbon for for well, breast cancer? Pink, pink, yeah, that I know. They have one specific day, I think. Or no, yeah, October. well, there was like, you know, some people were siphoning money. Oh, from, that I don't know. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it, it drives me nuts. I'm like, man. That 20, I want, okay, I get it. If I give you 20, you have to, I don't know, maybe take $2. I find it. Like, because, you know, there's like logistics, right? But 
nothing got, goes in your pocket. You know what I mean? Like, don't build your house or whatever you want to do. I mean, most of the, if you look at the most of the scandals or corruption cases, they always come from NGOs. Like, I think a few years back, there was a V charity case that I didn't look that much into it in Canada. And uh, all these I've heard, I'm not sure if this is true or not, but all these millionaires and billionaires, they donate a big amount to and used to get some tax escape or something. So, I mean, it is what it is. We just, we can just do our part. And <laughs> yeah, I guess so. You're right. You're right. So you said your, and your group makes water wells. I know in Africa, it's been an issue that NGOs will create water wells in you know remote areas, and warlords take it over, and they make money off of that. Is that an <laughs> issue in Pakistan? It's not been an issue yet, but you've given them a good idea now. <laughs> <laughs> <I'm> sorry, <laughs> but we we do have a lot of uh, heads of the area. I would say who I don't trust at all and who are very filthy rich themselves and they keep, you know, making more from the poor. Hmm. But so far, I haven't heard anything like that. And so far, people are happy. Once I go to Pakistan, I will personally visit all of them. Surprise visit. Hmm. And be like, <laughs> I'll either be very shocked or very happy. <laughs> I saw some pictures that you have posted that like, you know, they have their water pumps and whatnot. I'm like, yo, that's cool, man. Because I remember... I didn't grow up privileged like you, you know what I mean? Like close to the beach and everything. <laughs> I'm the one that's getting the well, you know what I mean? <laughs> But I used to like, every time that something that happens, I'm like, I was so excited because, oh, there's water in the area, you know? Yeah. Now, like specifically, I was saying 2022, water's a very big issue mm-hmm. in, in areas in Asia and uh Africa. Pakistan has a very big water issue. And the funny thing is that some of our rivers, they're like, they come from India. <laughs> they can be controlled by India. <laughs> <laughs> Goddamn Indians, you know? <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, that's one of our issues. Even though we're next to the water, we have a big uh, ocean line at Arabian Sea, but we still have issue of drinking water. Mm. And I feel like with this climate change, it's only going to become more severe. I heard somewhere in some, I think, documentary that the World War III would be on water. Mm, I heard that too. It could be. I mean, water is so important. Like, you don't survive without water. Yeah, and I think like in Canada, we've just taken water for granted. Like, I just take long showers from drinkable water. Oh, trust me. (laughs) Trust me, my kids are like, just runs the water. I'm like, yo, t- turn it off. You don't need it. Well, yeah, but I'm doing the, like, do. Okay, you wash the dishes, you turn it off, and then you put it in the washing, in the dishwasher. Yeah, that, but I'm going to go back again. Like, no, 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 dude, 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 dude. You don't know how important and how precious water is. So I tell them the story of me when I was growing up. I had to like get water <laughs> from, you know, like, I don't know, like, Three blocks down, you have to go walk there back and forth. It's not like one time you got to back and forth. And they just laugh at me. Yeah, you have to take them to the areas. That's where they'll know for sure. Hmm. 
And so, you know, on that point, this NGO that we partnered with, so because a lot of women in villages, they used to hold water in, I don't know the word, like tubs or but it was like pretty solid and they used to hold it on their head and you know mm. have the water and they used to walk like maybe five kilometers every day to get work so this ngo they made a water cooler which they can just drag on mm. and that's become life made very easier for them mm-hmm. and that's one ngo that we partnered with recently as well i think we donated like 10 10 of those water coolers type of thing that you can just drag on you can probably see their pictures on our page mm-hmm. so I, there's a lot of been work being done on water. That's pretty awesome, man. I, yeah. What we used to do is it was me and my brother, so we get like you know like Coke, uh, two liter cokes, yeah. or like whatever <laughs> container. We grab like maybe two of two each in our hands, and we just walk back and forth. Bro, I hated it. Man. <laughs> yeah, good exercise. <laughs> well, yeah, but I was a kid. I was supposed to be playing. And this is a game. <laughs> Well, I don't know about game. Yeah. So I'll, I'll tell you, but like, you know, even like when I was back home in my city, <clears throat> like these issues, like I've always heard about them. Like, you know, this story is like water issue and, you know, people holding water and people just, you know, spending five hours to find water. And like I was living in a big city, so this was not a problem. Mm-hmm. But because like I was part of Ruti International and they did a specific trip to the interior part of uh, Pakistan, the villages so that's when it really opened my eyes and when i saw it happening in front of my eyes that this is a living problem so i I feel like once you see it then you realize it (laughs) yeah i mean like listen i brought my kids to where i grew up like the slums you know these kids love the slums like no 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 you're not supposed to love it you're supposed to like Open your eyes that this is a problem, you know. But I mean, kids, you can't blame them. No, you can't. No, I, I. That's that's one thing I think I told myself. Like, I cannot force them to feel privilege. They have to feel privilege. Like you, it took for you to go in the rural areas to like, oh shit, they need water. Yeah, no. Uh, I would say like people in my area, they were very privileged, but they were very arrogant as well. Mm. and uh, they were indifferent to the problems but once they see it happening then they be, then they really open to it yeah. so it's yeah. a process <laughs> so i think everybody goes to it once in their life and uh, well if you do travel it, it, it's the traveling is the key because if you like say you stay in mississauga you know like you're comfortable <laughs> you know what i mean you're, n- you're never gonna see the problem but if you have to travel and see the world, like, and then you see problems and it hopefully it affects you and do something with it, you know? I totally agree. So who was the person that inspired you to start a NGO? I wouldn't say it was the person. I would say it was the problem. Mm. And it was the pandemic. And it, I was, if you want to say a person, I can say the newscaster was just shouting in the news <laughs> they don't speak in the news like they don't say oh this is what's happening this is what's happening <laughs> mm-hmm. so no i've been i follow pakistan news very uh frequently i at least try to see the headlines per day and like you know how they say that as an immigrant your one feet is in a new country but your other feet is always in your home country mm-hmm. it feels that way as well 
so i keep following the news and once i saw so much happening there and because i remembered like you know most of the people they used to line up at the at the street with their tools and somebody would come and hire them but because of the lockdown there was nobody no one coming out no one hiring and you know nobody buying stuff from stalls and stuff mm-hmm. a lot of markets were closed so i knew at that time that things things are much worse than the showed in the news so it was the time for like you know in our road to organization they say there are a lot of people with ideas but try to be the person with the action mm-hmm. so it was time to take some action and i feel like it's only one person who has to take the action and others just there's so many people who just follow they just need somebody to take that step and once you once the person takes that step everybody just follows yeah i agree with this i i saw like some something they show like videos of like it's like a set up videos of like someone's in trouble and then it takes one person to move and then everybody start moving oh a great example there was this i don't know like it's a fair and there's this big swing that people rides on and this thing was tilting i mean it's going to fall and it was like there were people on on the swing and it took a guy run towards the machine and start pulling it down not that he's going to do anything with it but he tried anyway and as soon as he did it people followed Yeah, I know I've seen that video and another example I don't know why it came to my head was I saw this video where this one guy was just uh, had some speakers in some street mm. and in Pakistan just, No, no, not like <laughs> but he was just dancing and a lot of people were just looking at him so just I think one person joined him and he started dancing in as well then everybody came and joined in and they started dancing <laughs> So it's just that one step that you know one push they say the final push Yeah, for sure. Do you feel survival's guilt being in Canada and knowing that people in Pakistan are most of them are suffering? There's a guilt, but I won't say survivor's guilt. I say privileged guilt you can say. Mm. I I have that so I the guilt I feel sometimes is that a lot of people just like me, I'll say more uh more smarter, uh more intelligent, more hard working. and they are still in pakistan and i had this privilege opportunity to come to canada to make the most out of it so sometimes i feel like i should make more out of the opportunity of canada that i have because if somebody like them were in my position they would have done much more and if they get that opportunity they would do much more than i have done and i should do much more and the guilt mostly just you know is around that that you know i have to work much harder I have to earn that and for in terms of pakistan i feel very grateful that i was able to come to canada and i'm i try to convince more people and i try to guide them more and that's how i overcome all of this that i help and guide more people who want to come here mm-hmm. with you know universities and applications and uh, a lot of people are more uh have more questions toward the prices international fees living fees uh food and drink fees then i tell them all these hidden fees i feel like this mobile network fees is pretty hidden at least that's and then the transport fees and all that so i i try to you know help as much as i can and that's i think how you can overcome it mm. what is the thing you are proudest of so far and why 
I'm proud of <laughs> it's a funny thing. I'm proud of that the university where I studied is where Elon Musk studied as well. <laughs> but he just came for two years. <laughs> I'm pretty proud that I it was like my dream to do a masters from a big university. Mm-hmm. Like my bachelor university, it was good, but it wasn't that highly rated. But Queen's University was very very good and very highly rated. This alumni network is amazing. The resources they provide were amazing. So I was pretty proud that I I was like I couldn't have thought that I would be able to do a master's degree abroad in a university like Queen's University. So I'm mm. pretty proud of that. Mm, awesome. Listen, buddy, I think we're there. But before we close out, do you have any last remarks? Last remarks would just be like, you know, the people who are listening, if they want to reach out to me for anything, I'm happy to help on my LinkedIn or you can email me or Instagram. And for the people who are who have doubts about anything, I've, I would strongly suggest that follow your gut feeling. <laughs> it's brought me here, just following your gut feeling and it will bring you where you want to be as well. And just work hard and, you know, make the most out of every opportunity. Sometimes I feel like uh, we overthink an opportunity and let it pass by, but I feel like this this is the year to make things happen. All those ideas, this is the year economies open up again. COVID is back again as well, but not that uh, intensive. So this is the year that all those ideas, all those dreams, this is the year to make them happen and achieve them. Mm, beautiful, beautiful. Before we close out, if you could say your Instagram, your website, your LinkedIn, go ahead. Yeah, so my Instagram is Mustafa23. I'm sorry, you will find it pretty easy. And my LinkedIn is also Mustafa Ansari. And uh, I don't have a website at the moment right now. <laughs> <laughs> How about your NGO, your uh, the donation part? So it's we had a website, but when it the time came to renew it, we had the option of investing in another two water pumps or renewing the website, and we chose to you know put the money there instead of the website. But the NGO is called the Expat Pakistan. You can find them on Instagram as well. We post about the projects, and uh, yeah, you can find me pretty easily on Instagram. So just reach out. Mm-hmm. I'm happy to help and guide. Awesome. Again, I really appreciate you coming on. Yeah, thank you so much for having me and uh, having me share my experience. Hells yeah. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye. Again, Mustafa, thank you for coming on the podcast. I really do appreciate it. Thank you, listeners, for listening. This is Aaron Deliosa for An Immigrant's Life. I'll see you guys later.